0: Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. Hey everybody, we are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Pavel Boloski, the co-founder at Melo. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Graham. Really good to be here.
0: It's great to have you here. And she loves data, of course. Right? Yes. So um, all the way from, well, I know you're living here in Singapore, but originally from Czech Republic. Mm-hmm, that's right. Just north of Prague.
1: Yep. I've actually, I actually live in Sydney right now. I've been based out of okay. Sydney in Australia your last, last six together. months. Yeah. Uh, but my company and my team, majority of it, is based in Singapore.
0: Yeah. Right. So you live in Sydney, your team's in Singapore. You're from just north of Prague.
1: Yeah. And our uh, second half of our team is in Czech Republic as well. So well, mostly the, the tech talent there. So it's excellent. It's a long
0: story. So, yeah. Um, let's. We want to talk about Melo. We want to talk about you know the the space that you're in, the problem that you're solving, and you know how you're sort of going about that that problem, how you're solving it. Talk a bit about your team, your journey, and so on. Um, I want to start at the beginning, at the end, if that makes sense, because I know on your pitch deck, if we can get the pitch deck up, I'm not going to go through the whole pitch deck. I'm going to pull Mm. out some key points that if we jump into the pitch deck, Barrett, can we go right to the end of the pitch deck? Because here we have it, slide 30-something. And if you're listening and you don't see this, let me explain. Melo means labyrinth or maze in Japanese. That's right. I lived in Japan, so when somebody said, oh, these guys, Melo, or Mayro, were coming in, like I thought, hang on a second... What, what does that mean? And I looked it up and thought, oh, that's really interesting. So wh- how does that all sort of come together? Mm.
1: Yeah, look, so obviously uh, picking a name can be one of the trickiest names for business today, right? Because all the good ones are, are, you know, all the fruits and, and everything else is, is taken. So this is, this is really difficult. So we're typically looking for a .com domain and, you know, five-letter word that's easy to spell in any language. Anyone can pronounce it. But there's not that many left and we kind of played with sort of the values we have and what we try to represent. And one of the key things, we obviously none of us is Japanese, so we have nothing to do with with the culture as the first direct link but we really are I suppose fans of the minimalistic design mm. and the, you know the, the culture to approach to management in terms of you know lean clean solutions we really like that and the word maze is just something that is a perfect analogy to the sort of space of data and where companies are with it today it's just they are just lost for the most part so mm. yeah we see that as a really nice really nice analogy and we kind of you know uh, tested it we've had to any of my international friends who try to pronounce it for me on camera. So like, <laughs> I make sure it doesn't mean any, any you know, rude words in, in, in any language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: That's cool. So you're, you're, I mean, we'll dive into Melo, May, how, how do you say mayo Because I, I say it. Mero, you pronounce yeah, it in Japanese. Okay. So, okay, so we to, yeah. um, um We'll dive into that, look a bit deeper into the solution and mm-hmm. the tech behind it. So so I understand it with the context of maze and labyrinth, is you're almost like a way out. You're helping people navigate. Yeah which is a very complicated space, which is data, mm-hmm. and particularly in the marketing space, understanding customers, mm-hmm. consumer analytics, and so on. It really is a maze. Yeah. It, you know, It's a crazy world out there, and it's getting worse for people who are dealing with the data. There's silos, there's organizational structures, and every day there's a new platform being added to the mix, right? So it's not just like Facebook, Back in the day, Mm -hmm. there's something else now. You know, we've got TikTok now. We've got all different kinds of platforms being thrown in. And you're having to measure every single, you know, interaction with consumers and profiles and so on. So we set the scene. Let's have a look at what the problem and the solution is. Mm. If we can get back into the pitch deck, Pavel. So if we can have a look. Um, The problem itself, I wanted to start on this slide number three. If we can sort of get this one up. So... If you're listening, it says on here, from channel to customer-centric models, and you've got a whole bunch of data. Pavel, can you help us understand... What this is?
1: Yeah, look, the left side, the left-hand side is really what we see, uh, kind of the practice being today, and what what that means is that you are looking at, uh, if you are looking at reporting and analytics in a business, you're typically looking at it vertically through channels, like through you are looking at, you know, how is my website doing? How many visitors am I having? Mm. You're looking at it from that entity perspective, and we are, I suppose, taking different slides where we are saying, if you want to treat your customers as individuals, you need to understand their journey as they go through it, right? So, so rather customer-centric approach really means looking at a person, Rather than a channel,
0: mm. right? So a channel would be like we have here: website, mail right. program, right.
1: Uh, Email tool, absolutely. Like right. you're looking at what's, what's my conversion rate on website? What's my open rate on my emails, right? Mm. And you have kind of these individual functions in business that are trying to optimize for that, but no one for no one is optimizing for the bigger picture. And you know, so the the, the silo problem that's been something that's a you know when we play a buzzword bingo, like that's just one of the things that is coming up absolutely. Constantly, yeah. you see the my my biggest uh, sort of internal joke is really when I see the traditional software companies, not to name any names, like going up on stage and saying, "Oh, you know, we are now saving the marketers from everything being in asylum." Like, well, you've been around for thirty yeah. years; you kind of created it. <laughs> you caused you know? it so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, but it, you know, to be to be serious, like that problem is absolutely real, and we right. realize it.
0: Okay, um, but what is the problem itself, and why is? the channel centric model a problem why is it i mean because i can like, on my dashboard look at all the data mm. and i can improve it i can tweak it yeah. i can split test it what's the, wrong with that
1: the, the problem is um, the problem is the mm, the single view of customers right one of model of my one of our sort of advisors and friends put it put it really really well for us uh, works at a uh, regional telco and he said look we do have uh single view of customer in the in the business mm. the problem is we have too many of them and that's precisely it. like you are not right, you know consolidating you all of these single touch points into one entity and the that's obviously so so that's kind of where we are getting into into building which is customer data platform mm. and the issue with if you look at the kind of the vendor uh, the vendor landscape in in marketing technology today there's over 8000 uh, vendors and like it's the map is is uh, is, is irritable at this mm. point for last few years right mm. so so, it's itself, also, yeah, absolutely. So it's getting just bigger and bigger. So that's that's mm. that's the sort of the what sets the scene for this problem.
0: Okay, let's go back then. So we've we've set the scene. We've had a look at the problem. We're in the world of channel centric models, which is basically you know where we measure data according to the channel which we touch the customer with, whether it's Mailchimp or whether it's you know the online website traffic, Google Analytics, and so on. And yet what you're saying is that if we can move to a customer-centric model, it would be Okay, so we have this customer Pavel Boloski, and this is his journey and how he sort of interacts with every single touch point in the business. Is that sort of where precisely? Yeah. But how do you do that when you have like nine million customers?
1: So that's actually, if you look at if you look at data management, that's that's a scale that's not really a problem. Mm. Uh, what What is problem is a is a volume of events. So we've got um, we've got a couple of use cases as customers where where we're really looking at you know it goes into millions of of, of events and uh, of customers and and. Uh, you know double digits of that of, of events and that's really not a problem like today right. the computational power that you have in in, uh, in sort of the the modern hardware providers and the technology the computing is really not a problem what's problem is to sort of the, the applying a logic into it and some sort of consolidation of it which is mm. really difficult mm. so you know how do you organize like if data is coming from you know 10 different places that are critical how do you organize them how do you synchronize them how do you how do you deal with uh, with a with a resolution of an of an identity like mm. you are talking about actual customers so this data cannot be so the, or this approach cannot be probabilistic you have to be you have to be precise when you're talking about customer and bringing in their transaction into the mm. into the equation right mm. but the obviously the, the, the real need there is to kind of have a holistic view of a customer uh, if give, give you an example so what we talk about when when we when we work with talk to talk to larger enterprises we obviously this is a problem we are, we are solving first for large enterprise because that's that's uh, the complexity there is, is a lot mm. higher um, and these problems are a lot more valuable Obviously, Uh, one of the things that we kind of how we describe it is like when you look at how you've been, you you know, you, you know, you have a house that you know that, that that house has some rooms and those rooms are full of people. What you don't know is who is in which room because your lights is off. Mm. But the only thing we do as a business when we talk about ourselves being in a data availability business really is we come in and we turn the lights on. Mm. And you know, that's obviously there is an underlying a fair amount of data engineering expertise that's been built into a product. How do we connect all of this? How do we make sure um, you know it makes sense that this person is this person here, this person is that person there, mm. and how do we bring it all together? That's mm. that's really uh, that's really sort of the core value of that of that product.
0: So is the goal of that. To produce, you know, like a. I know we're going to go into the personas part, mm-hmm. but is that the sort of deliverable for all this? To say, hey, look, this is Pavel. This is who he is. How he sort of interacts with your platforms in different ways. Yeah. Is that kind of what the deliverable is? Yeah. That now, until now, you can only sort of really do through focus groups or yeah. sort of questionnaires.
1: Yeah. Look, the yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so that that the, the goal there is to have uh, your customers uh, identified on as many as many touch points mm. as possible and be be aware of or their every single interaction. So one of a one of the practical use cases we have for this is that so we are working on a, um say say use case which might be company that's a um, similar to Spotify. Right? So it's a freemium mm. business and app based and what they are looking at, one of their biggest problems is they are looking at churn prediction and prevention. So mm. so they have an algorithms that are looking at uh, that are looking at uh, that are looking into how a user is uh you know going through their journey and once the user usage drops they will flag them and that you know say email automation sequence will will get triggered and this person will get well they will try to reactivate them. Mm. this is successful to a degree because it's a very linear situation what we can do if we are able to um, if we are able to um, integrate other uh, sort of touch points such as you know for for the additional to the mobile app if we are able to add in website and we can specifically tag uh, things around pricing and, and terms and conditions mm. and, and policies around the website if we can add that as an attribute to to their profile uh, and this gets f- factored into that calculation this algorithm will be able to spot this person a lot faster mm. and that might be that might be absolutely crucial to, to saving them around or turning them around and improving your uh your retention rate so th- this this is going to be the, the use cases are going to be very varied by business mm. by business but this is one one example like pretty specific.
0: Yeah, and okay, well, I want to have a look at these personas and I'm fascinated by this. Before we we get there, actually, I mean, that sort of churn prediction case study and we're going to talk about your case studies as well in Mm -hmm. a minute. Um, And you're not really doing anything different. You're not really sort oh, of no. reinventing wheel. You're no. just creating a good process, aren't yeah.
1: you? Look, um, there is three components of kind of where we are seeing ourselves, mm, what we are sort of improving. And we actually are not absolutely, we are not innovative company in a sense that we are doing something that hasn't been done or actually uh, it hasn't been done before. It just has been promised before, but it right. hasn't been done. So one of, the, one of the things where we see ourselves uh, not necessarily disrupting, I'm not big of a fan of, of that word, but more of an improving of performance of, would be... Um, would be a CRM. So CRM is a... Mm. 20 25 years old concept which, is, which has been uh, designed typically around structuring transactional data at b2b companies at best it's a node for salespeople. and it's not really it's not really uh, designed in a in a mindset where your customer had has you know online offline touch points can come in walk into the store walk mm. through a mall uh, contact your customer care on social on phone and on email and, you know it's just that at a point in time when this was being designed this wasn't really the case so it's not designed for it so this integration this connectivity in CRM is an issue so that's what we're solving for and we are enabling a lot finer segmentation activation of these people based on individual triggers on the back end again something that's that is absolutely being done mm. but you're just feeding the end touch points in, with a lot lot better finer uh, in more intelligent data mm. that that's all it is so that's that sort of goes back to my point of we us saying that we are in, you know vaguely in a data availability business because we mm. just Mm, Availability
0: is the key word though, isn't it? Because until now, it's been siloed everywhere. I mean, data warehousing is Mm. a thing, right? You know, people store data Mm. rather than put it out there And, and CRM systems until now have very much been about collecting information just in case. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to collect all this inf- survey information about you, Pavel, just in case I might need to come back to it. You know, we asked you 100 questions. In six months' time, somebody might come back again. Oh, I might be able to use that question, that answer. It's not sort of regularly being used or active or out there. Yeah. It's stored and locked away in many cases yeah. in organizations. Yeah. So that's the challenge. Okay, so we'll, I want to have a look at these personas because I come from the world of marketing, and personas is not new, right? I mean... Back in the day when they said, you know, draw a picture of, they used to call these like pen profiles, right? You know, in the advertising world is where draw a picture of your customer and you actually physically draw a picture and, you know, it was this person and she was like 27 years old Mm -hmm. and she was a professional who worked in the city and all that. So where you get into personas here, um, I think it's round about that solution about slide six or just after um, you talk a little bit about personas personas. yeah this customer personas so how does it now different in the data world how do you then create these so
1: uh, this is one thing that we are i suppose trying to just highlight for customers because we've been through this uh building this application so we know what the customer that's sort of newer to the space don't know right the the it's not as much as a person as in the traditional sense, as an actual person, so mm. we, or actors in the market. So when you're looking at someone who has a model such as you know Grab or Uber, you're looking at a very different expression of that customer. So when we talk, when we call the software customer data platform, it's about uh, a, that that sort of pro- probably more precise definition should be something around known known person to a to a business, mm. rather than rather than a customer. So it doesn't need to be an active customer, but we, when you look at when you look at marketplace like that, you have at least. These three different actors so you have you have with grab you will have your drivers you will have your users uh, as a customers you mm. will have your vendors at the very very least and their definition will be very different in terms of behavior so they might do completely different things and number one they will do them on different touch points so those apps can be structured completely differently some might have an offline touch points and it's producing data so you have to be able to organize this information you know for every department mm. that that is going to use it, it's going to work with it, in a different way, in almost like in a parallel fashion. So this is something we are kind of highlighting to the customers that they might not even be realizing it. Because if you talk to someone from a marketing function in a business, they are typically serving one product in a big business, right. and they're not really seeing the, the even the bigger picture of their business in that sense.
0: Yeah. So this must be an increasing problem as well, because yeah. now companies aren't just serving one customer now companies are more and more like platforms mm-hmm. you okay. talk about Ubers and so on That's they it, have different it, pl- actors now yeah right? it
1: is absolutely a problem but I think the biggest the bigger problem in that uh, that sort of looming over this whole situation is if you, if you look at who owns technology in businesses today and the the, it, the problem is that marketers own a lot more technology mm. than IT and it's, it's uh, I think the sort of the tipping point was uh, a year and a half ago when there was some survey published that uh, an average marketer in an enterprise now has a bigger disposable uh, budget for technology than an IT department, mm. obviously leaving us out in infra- infrastructure-heavy things like telco, but you know, mm. gym, you know, more like consumer-based companies, uh, and that's that's an absolutely that's absolutely defining for this whole situation because cr- marketers and I. Don't mean you know to be to be uh, to be scolding or, or uh, at all at all uh, sound rude, but marketers are not technical people. They yeah. are not data people. They are communications, creative, storytellers, and this is not a sort of native uh, mindset that they have. Mm. And they don't know the last thing about data management. And all of a sudden, average department in in large enterprise uses you know uses sixty to ninety different marketing tools, whether that's you know from your web analytics to link shortener to to anything else to store their documents and this is this is all producing data and obviously that's not gonna that's not gonna slow down if you look at yeah. if you look at um, kind of a next few years what it's gonna look like. Look at the whole uh, voice ecosystem um, so your Alexas your your mm. your Google tools uh, that are voice empowered so this is this brings another layer of, of complexity you know so mm. other than the whole IoT so so this is the my point is that we're not finished. This is not slowing down. So no absolutely. this is gonna get yeah. more complex.
0: Well if you if you go back, I mean like I sort of like alluded to, I'm from the marketing world, is that you know a marketer in the old days would hire an external consultant to come in and tell them what the data meant. They mm-hmm. would come in and they would be like an analyst or internal business analyst, for example, and they would crunch numbers and tell them. Right now, what seems to be happening is now marketers have the tools at their fingertips for mm-hmm. all this data, um, even your own tools, for example, and they have to understand it because to get somebody now to come in and sit with them and consult them and go through like strategy with them. It takes time. They have to act straight away. You know, they, they can't be in this sort of like very convoluted feedback loop. They've got to be making decisions straight away. Mm -hmm. And this is the challenge, right? As you say, now it's the marketers driving the organization. Cause at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's yeah. just marketing, right? I mean, if you look at how organizations are structured now, it's marketers and data. Yeah. And everybody else yeah. is supporting them, right? That is the modern organization. You know, there's nobody really else now in that whole setup apart from a few strategy people. But that's how they're organized. Well. So, hence, we're here talking about the solution. Well, let, let's have a look at some of the case studies. I mean, you've got a whole bunch of case studies in your pitch deck here. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can do slide 18. This is the one that I wanted to pick out. Uh, we can sort of jump forward to 18. Um, you've got a few social media case studies, but there's this, um, sorry, yeah, it's 17, 18, Yeah, that's right, 17. So social media data capture example. This is quite technical because I wanted to go a little bit technical, right? put some numbers into it and understand how it works. What is actually happening here? And bear in mind that some people might just be listening to this. So yeah. can you sort of explain yeah, totally. how this works?
1: Could we actually go with the previous one? I think the website will be a little bit, a uh, little bit, uh, sort of one grade complexity yep. lower than the than the social. We've got so, to 16. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank go. you yeah. so much. So yeah, so look, this is an example of what an architecture of our one of our deployments looks like on a on a on a website, right? So the point is, uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify people who you are in your customer database and whether this is POS or CRM, absolutely don't care, and people who are coming to to your to your website what are they what they are doing there right so there the the first challenge in that case is the identity resolution so you're looking you're looking at matching their login information yeah. or whenever they uh, sign in uh, sign into an app they are uh, submitting a form or you know subscribing to a newsletter all of this can be can be tracked and if you are attaching some sort of identity uh, identification uh, token on that that can get that gets afterwards collected uh, into into my role Uh, into our data layer. Uh, There's an automated process of algorithms that we've developed that stitches the person's profile together. So Mm. what you see in here in this case is that the little three uh, green boxes are basically looking at uh, data being collected through Google Analytics, uh, through Snowplow. So Snowplow is a technology which is an open source alternative to post-web analytics, which allows you to collect raw data. Um, And also sidecores of a traditional company, CMS. Mm. And we are sort of sending the device ID that we are. Signing to uh, any device on the side to every single one of them. Then we sort of collect it, uh, stitch this all together. Again, that ha- happens automatically with uh, sort of data science team that work, works this out. Mm. Uh, and when we, whenever we hit a new device, that gets sort of created a profile, and you basically create a persona, and you are collecting whatever information that is event-based. So person, you know clicked on this side, uh, came from uh, came from uh, this source, is coming from either organic or, or an advertisement source. So whatever sort of the details are important for further decisioning on the person, uh, we'll take that identifier, so the PII information. And obviously, PII is a critical part of this whole equation. Mm. If especially in in you know in the in the in the time we live in right now, and that gets verified against the the, the identity will get validated against uh, clients uh, customer database so CRM mm-hmm. or POS, and if we get back information that this is a, this is an actual customer, well that will update it accordingly, and we can start sort of allowing the marketer sitting on the on the back end of that of so our application has and sort of a second layer which is more of a business user interface where they can start segmenting these people lot lot finer. Mm. So if you imagine this as a one input uh, what you are basically how, the way you can use this is uh, we have a customer who um, who's who's going to be using this in a way where they are uh, identifying high value so imagine banking you have you have high value products on the website where 99% of their customers are debit card standard account hmm. uh, customers so we will be tagging up and collecting events around uh, individuals who we know who we've already identified if they are coming to sites which are credit card oriented which are uh, which are mortgage oriented and that's something that you can then act on yeah. now now, that's the act on, that's a really, really important part here. So what you've described before, and I, I really like that, is that you know everyone's kind of trying to build a marketing data lake or data warehouse and they are trying to integrate everything for the sake of integration because that's what's been what's sort of sort of the trend that they are seeing in the media. What's missing is activation. So at best, you build dashboards, you build, you build visualizations and you build reports off of all of this data. Mm. And that's a great first step, but we really are moving into into time and an era where you need to act on this information that you collected and the pressure on roi on all of these marketing tools is going to be with the increasing investments ever bigger than bigger than ever before so this is quite quite interesting Mm -hmm. so you know when we have when we have collected that list of people who are interested in clearly in you know mortgage or or website or or, um, sorry credit cards we can very simply chuck it back into the crm where salespeople is going to get alerted that this is probably a hot lead or we can Pass it into call center, or even even email it as a PDF to to your to your sales manager, and they can they can call this person because they actually know them. Right. And, and it's you're going from our you know landing page for credit cards was was visited one hundred times you know, happy days to here's Joe and Joe was on the, on the side and he's also your customer and right. he, he didn't come from advertising. He came organically. So it's probably low, higher priority than someone else who came from uh, advertising. Right, so,
0: Right, gotcha. So let, let's sort of feed that back to that starting point, which was the different paradigms about marketing, channel-led, customer-led. So in the channel-led, that data is being fed back to the web team and the web team is sitting there going, oh, wow, look, our landing page we've got a thousand hits for this product or this promotional campaign. Right. And that's what they then report back to their boss and say, look, we've been successful. Thank you very much. Give us another assignment. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how it's been. Right. But what's happening now is you're getting this information. You know, Pavel's landed on this page. We know it's Pavel cause we've matched it up. Yep. And also we, he's a high net worth individual. He's looking at life products or mortgage mm-hmm. products or whatever that thing gets fed automatically to, uh, a a human being maybe even like a a sales team Um, and then they can action that so they're getting really high quality leads well you know okay here are people that are coming through that we know this profile this intent right here right now and the timing is really important here isn't it because if that was done in the old school world Mm -hmm. somebody who had to sit on that make a decision two weeks later we're still making a decision but yeah. you might not be interested in products by them. Absolutely.
1: But the, I guess the, the bigger pain point there is that it's not scalable. So people cannot be making individual uh, decisions about customers. Of course, marketers are working one too many right? Mm. So this needs to be sort of machine, uh, machine produced. And you need to have an environment and interface where you can build these rules Exactly what you just described through a very very simple interface where you put this in action. So give you, I'll give you another example. So uh, where this is perfectly applicable. So I have bought a new laptop. I've just switched from from newer version of that to something else. I'm Not going to name names since they are not in the room. It's not, it would not be would, it would be Windows. Would, would not <laughs> be fair. Could could be. Oh wow, uh, it's could. gone the other way. This is interesting, All right. Um And so I've, you know, what I've done is what I would normally do. I'll look up uh, the landing their their sort of e store on uh, on my mobile. I go to the website and wow. I'll eventually go into I think um, one of the stores in here in Singapore and I, I bought it and, and I go away, with it. and I I get home and open Facebook. And what do you think I see? Remarketing ad for that same product, right? Wow! And I keep seeing it four weeks later.
0: Do you want to buy another and one? I, and I'm
1: exactly, and I'm and I'm taking screenshots of it, and I'm actually going to use it in presentations because this is super funny, yeah. right? And the point is, this is there's there's two things that that this is causing as a problem. Number one, I know it's a sort of we are talking about cents, so this is this is money that's that's negligible to most businesses. Yeah, uh, but you are showing me ads that are completely having no effect because I've just bought. I've just bought something, yeah. right? So, so you're wasting budget number one. Number two, you're actually annoying me, yeah. and that's the worst yeah, thing, that, that's which, is, which is hard to which yeah, is hard violent. to measure. Yeah. So, you know, things like when you look at combining these signals coming in from what person is doing on a website, how are they interacting on a customer care, and what are they doing in the actual product, combining it with actions such as when you say, uh, look, if uh, you know, I want to run an email campaign, and typical logic is, okay, I'll pick my cohort of customers, I'm going to say customers who recently purchased and live in Singapore, and I'm mm. going to send them an email. And Mm. that's what market today can absolutely do, right? And they typically do it within the environment of doing that segmentation within that tool where they are executing it being MailChimp, SilverPop, uh, whatever email tool they are using. So what we are doing is we are saying the segmentation should happen on the CDP before you actually activate the data. Mm. And we can go a lot more finer. So we can say not just, hey, Lives in Singapore and purchase something, but we can also say if that person interacted with the customer care and filled out the the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, worse than six, then exclude them from this audience. Mm. Or anyone who who you know who is recently had an unhappy experience, or, or you know someone who just recently purchased, if that's part of the cycle, automatically exclude them from all advertising audiences. Mm. And that's that's the whole point. The, the you would like to do that, but you can't do it because these people are not identified across all of these touch points, and mm. the activation becomes becomes hard.
0: Can that whole process be automated? I, yeah. mean, I know there's bits where they have to touch human beings like yeah. go into a store and so on and somebody has to maybe pick up the phone but mm-hmm. the, the actual, you know, the feeding of the pipes yeah, input-output, is that all automated? That's, that's really important in, yeah. in, in process isn't yeah, it? That's where the bottlenecks occur.
1: So, so, that, so what we are basically saying is that this whole process obviously the, the consumption and the activation of data that, that needs to be automated. Yeah. And we do that, so that's that that's, that's sorted. What's uh, where sort of the business user, the human comes into that is uh, building out these business rules and and creating mm. these sort of logical chains you know if if you're familiar with uh if this then that Absolutely. so like yeah. you know i do ABC, I don't do d e happens so so someone needs to come in and, and define these rules yeah, that yeah. we sort of allow a business user to do that um another kind of a big thing we are solving and i forgot I have this anecdote from a friend of mine who is a, a product marketer at a at a large bank uh, in hong kong and when he wants to have a as a k- part of his campaign, he wants to send out an email. What he has to do is the process where he goes to his IT, submits a request f- to get a basically simple extract from their database, which says, uh, show me my customers who live in Hong Kong and maybe Taiwan and I don't know where else. And this process takes six weeks. Gee. And as a human, like, as at least four different people... Do they have
0: to type it out? That would be, each that would be faster. Week?
1: No, it's just scheduled t- throughout the... Traditional like IT well. workflow, right? People have to check it, and that that itself creates, a, especially in a you know era of a GDPR and and that yeah, sort yeah, of privacy yeah. law, that creates so many complexities that, I, that their lawyer, law departments would be so interested in because if you are doing if you run that segment and you export it, and if, if there's a sort of a lag between mm. between you sending it and you kind of getting access to it three four weeks, the people who are in that segment could have theoretically unsubscribed from your yeah. database, and if you are if you are targeting them, then you're potentially liable and are creating yeah, a some could have died as well at that sort yeah. of time that you and, know that's, uh, that's
0: the problem <laughs> the, the market moves on right totally, yeah so
1: and a point is you know it's it's it, your it people are smarter than yeah. to do that kind of job so so that's again the data availability so we are giving a marketer very simple interface where can, where they can design this request um, through a visual interface in less than 30 seconds and that's I find Pretty
0: it fa- fascinating. I, I know you've talked about the customer view and I know you've got a slide as well. I'm going to jump into that in a minute. But before we talk about that, you, you mentioned a really interesting point, Pavel, is that, you know, marketers and IT people are smarter than this, right? And it's just that the organization gets in the way. And that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's trying to get the organization out of the way and let people do what they're really good at. Of course, organizations have to have checks and balances and so on yep. and that has to happen. But it, it shouldn't stop people doing their job and doing what they do well. And if you were a good marketer, if you were like talented and one of your one of the best, you know, like digital marketers or internet marketers or however you want to call it now, a marketer, right? In your space and you were working in a bank or you were working in any large corporate, an airline or you know, any FMCG company, for example, you want to do projects that make a difference and you want, you know, you could go anywhere in the world. You could walk into any job because you've got the skills, right? So when they're faced with that process of six weeks, it's like, you know, why am I doing this? Like, you know, I'm, I can go and get a, 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 you know, similar kind of payer over here and I can make a difference. Right. And it's a talent thing now, you know, and, uh, and not an HR function, but it's about retaining talent because they want to work on great projects, the 10x projects, mm-hmm. right? And when you put all these kind of like silos, it demotivates people. You know, I don't want to now go back and ask for email data because I know that I have to go through this horrible yeah. six-week cycle. Well,
1: I, I agree. People, people want to make a difference. Whatever they do, they want to make a difference, and that's really important. And they don't want to be running SQL queries into a database getting a list of emails. No, no one wants to do that in
0: IT. Sorry. Those days are gone. All right, well, let's jump into the, the customer view because you sort of mentioned it with your computer example, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. We've got a like slide 20. Um, yeah, this one here, single right. view of the customer. Um, so if we can kind of actually look at what, comes out the other end. And I think, is it the slide above? is actually the, just, just a daily landscape. Okay, so single view of the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about what actually this looks like when you build a profile, what kind of information you collect. And what I'm really fascinated by is that how does that change behavior? So all very well, things get more efficient. Mm-hmm. People are faster. Does it change the way that marketers and organizations behave when they Gets structured a little bit differently. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the customer view as well, and then you know how that affects people's behavior.
1: Right. So look, data visualization that's not something where we f- are feeling we are making a lot of difference. But this particular function of the platform is very important because uh, this just inspires action. Nothing, nothing really else. So obviously, if you are looking at it as a marketer or more on one-to-one, that's not going to be useful. You're not going to be able to check all you know ten millions of your customers and do something specific for them. Right. So mm. that's that's where the sort of the business rules and automation come in place, but what you need to do uh, is you need to see this and able to be reali- to be able to realize the full potential of this. So what, what we are basically looking at is uh, from every single touch point that the company brings in, and typically they are kind of in particularly like this order. So you are looking at a website, you are looking at mobile app, great source of data if it's first party app. Uh, you're looking at loyalty programs, you're looking at some sort of transactional system, so POS or CRM. Uh, you're looking at emails, you're looking at uh, text messaging uh, platforms. In marketing, this is extremely powerful, even though it seems like you know, outdated technology. Text messages really work for for marketers, so they have one of the highest conversion rates. Hmm. And what you want to see is you want to see how you have the visibility of this of this person um, you know across across these these channels, right? So what we are looking at is a very simple menu, simple card of a person with all of these attributes that we have designed and are available. Now, these attributes are or the or variables are as sort of customized for every single uh, organization based on their particular needs and use cases. So this is really important. This is where, where this is not one size fits all solution. Mm. Absolutely, there is, a, there is the amount of, of configuration that needs to happen, but it's typically through experience and conversation with a client. We have a basic package that we will roll out automatically for everyone. If, you, if I uh, can sort of bother you guys to switch to s- uh, slide one after, there's a different view of this, which is which is a timeline of that same same view. So you're actually looking at consolidated events on a timeline, and what you see is a kind of on a monthly or whatever the the, the sort of the roll comes up uh, come mm. ups, comes up to um, is you're looking at look this month this person visited the website eight times, talked to customer care three times, purchased twice. So you know is that is there something we would like to is there some sort of automated action yeah. or sequence we would like to trigger on the basis of that? This know? is the customer journey, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. That you're being visualized. Yeah. but you wanna you don't wanna visit Visualize it. You want to action on it, and yeah. really, this is where we kind of see people are coming here to get a inspiration and figure out what they could do with the data. The, what What's yeah. important is the segmentation afterward, the, the building the business rules, and putting them into action. So really, you know, that's the, it's it's the data availability and it's the actionability, which is which is a big issue. Like what we have seen, I think we've lived through an era of business intelligence, and and that's you know something every single marketer wants to have a nice dashboard, and that's 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 cool. You need to have a visibility. That's a, that's a part of the journey, but it doesn't stop there it it has to go to action that's mm. that's the important piece on now, the data activation. So what, what
0: do people do then once they have these dashboards and they have the actionability do they make different kind of decisions like they would have done 5 years ago with just a good BI dashboard yeah.
1: uh, so look it's it's about how do you how do you do you do activation today so if you are if let's say um, email campaigns are one of the one of the part of the function uh, you are doing it on what I described before, you might be saying uh, look, I, I want to reach out to my audience in Singapore and, and I want to choose mail and a sort of demographic segmentation mm. in the way you would. But you right now, because you are have you have an access to what this person does on on mobile app and what they do, whether they open email. So you can say, you know, give me an audience that's that might be 10,000 people in the beginning, but then I want to apply a couple of extra rules where I say uh, I want to, you know, I don't want to exclude people. I want to exclude people who never open my email. So mm. I'm not sending it To someone who is never opening anything else, I want to um, I want to uh, target people specifically who are only uh, who are only um, uh, touching feature A, B, but not C inside mm. of the mobile app, right? And that's that's a lot more informed uh, segmentation and focus you are doing. And again, getting the data where it's needed uh, that's 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 an important thing. Uh, a lot of um, kind of oftentimes what we see is that campaigns especially in a, in sort of a marketing departments and campaigns are run just kind of the way they used to do it so we do emails because that always work and it's still somehow works even mm. though those conversion rates are kind of you know going where we know what they are going but when you look at that um, what we also do is when that little radar chart on, on there which shows you how interactive a person is on every single one of those patch points that's really important mm. so what you do is we would say we kind of are changing behavior where we are saying you are not beginning with uh, I'm running campaign on Facebook you're saying I'm running a campaign and we will show you which is the best place right. best destination to run it based on where these people are active mm. if we know that 80% of these people never open email don't send them email That's simple as that, and that you know what we are where in the end of the day, where we can make a difference in a business is we either save money or we make new money. Mm. So we kind of are seeing that we address both of these things. So optimizing marketing budgets, if that was the the only thing that we did, would be good enough. Mm. But also, you know, helping you understand your customer better, and uh, that's that's unfortunately something that's a little bit vague because every single business is going to use that information a little bit differently. Mm. But having the data available in an actionable format. That's that's really critical.
0: We're seeing now. I mean, especially here in Asia, even here in Singapore, Southeast Asia, there are good examples of companies which are emerging. I know you talked about the customer profile and using customer data and so on, and and that to be seen as having a direct impact on profitability of the business. And we're seeing, for example, like you know, like AirAsia are stepping up, and that, you know, they're a great case study now where. They are just getting all their data together and getting organized. And, you you know, now you have, even here in Singapore, like new entrants like Circles Life in mm-hmm. the telecom space who are doing great things with their marketing. Nothing radically different, but just doing the data so much better and making it much more actionable. And managing to compete with the big guys, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the big boys in, in their incumbent space. So I think what's going to happen is, is in time, through sort of natural selection, those people who, yes, okay, maybe there isn't a, a really strong case for customer you know data in the sense of okay customer personas right now but they believe in it they understand it they will then rise to the top of their fields and then people will follow and copy and model on them right so that will become the norm so, yes, there is a really strong case in marketing. But I think what you're doing in terms of building the personas, having that sort of longitudinal view of them, that will become the norm in years to come. right? Yeah, so. absolutely.
1: Like, I mean, if you look at uh, markets like Hong Kong and China, what they are doing with identity, mm. uh, sort of resolution recognition that's maybe uh, from a consumer business standpoint of view in the rest of the world, a little f- too far Fetch maybe a little extreme, but that's absolutely where where this whole thing is gonna go. And if you know, if you if you in ten years down the line, if you're not able to recognize your customer when they walk through door in your actual retail store, mm. then you you probably don't have a place in the, in the business anymore. That this is, this is tricky. So that that identity of of a person and knowing them on different touch points that you have, and you know, I guarantee there is going to be more of those touch points in in future. It's gonna get only more complicated. Um, that's just that's just gonna be vital to the business.
0: Yeah, I and mean, we just look at what's coming out of China at the moment. Like- with the retail stores and how more advanced they are than you know if you go to America and see retail in America Mm. and compare which retail in America used to be well was the vanguard was the leader in the world but that's the future being laid out for us let's talk about Mero in terms of the company and your future as well um how old's the company now so the
1: company is, uh, is about um, one year old. Mm. Uh, we have uh, well, we are eight months. Uh, we've, we've launched a product about uh, officially launched a product in uh, September uh, mm. only. But we have a slightly, I suppose, unusual journey because we come from the background of doing data analytics consultings. We've uh, had a been a, sort of a selling data analytics projects to uh, companies here for four years now. It was sort of past my social bakers experience mm. here in Asia. And obviously, a lot of marketing, a lot of social media still still in that mix. And we we're very fortunate that we've um, kind of one of our, um, I suppose, uh, a trusted we were trusted by one of our customers, who's mm. a who is a bank in uh, in the region, that uh, kind of uh, talk came talk to us uh, about a year and something ago about you know the problem of ha- not having the visibility over mm. over you know s- uh, unified view of a customer, and mm. we kind of realized that this is actually echoing the conversations we've been having around the region with so many different people, and mm. we said, look, this is clearly an opportunity, so we started uh, sketching out solution, and that uh, that sort of project with with one customer turned into into a product journey, which. Was a little bit unexpected, but uh, it's it's very very interesting. Mm. So we are right now. Uh, we are based in Singapore. Uh, we are approximately twenty people hiring a couple of different uh, positions right now. And
0: twenty people uh, here in Singapore.
1: Uh, twenty people across the region. So we have mm. uh, we have um, the engineering team sits in Czech Republic mm. in Brno. Um, uh, which is absolutely a delightful city. If anyone has a chance to go, uh, it's almost as good as Prague. And we uh, have a sort of a more client-facing team and analytics team, uh, mm. delivery team, and sales, obviously uh, here in here in Singapore. Mm. I'm personally based in Sydney right now, so right. I'm kind of looking at a little bit more of a market exploration. Exp- exploration. Well, there's no there. reason
0: why you can't in these days be across three different time no. zones, isn't it? I mean, we've seen this now as companies like Buffer and how they have built themselves, right? It's, it's well, a reality now. We've
1: actually started as a distributor team. So when uh, when I got together with my with my co-founder here in. Singapore, Singapore four years ago I have uh, when we launched the company the second day I moved out of Singapore to maintain Mm. the cost and I moved to Bali Mm. and we've done we have run a remote business for about uh, two and a half three years and it is possible it is definitely not easy, um, but you know it's it's one of the options that you have today, and mm. and it's a, just kind of generally you know everything has a has a has an upside and downside, right? So mm. so you know the cost efficiency might be the upside, the sort of the agility and the speed of the movement might be might be a little bit of a downside, but you can you can make it work. But so. for
0: the right people, it works, right? And that, that's the key. For the Absolutely. right people, they yeah. get into that; they can they actually want to work in yeah. that kind of setup as yeah, well. Yeah, we something. have
1: a I suppose a little bit specific specific culture where kind of we value uh, sort of. Of responsibility and and uh, sort of a self-drive a uh, mm. lot more than than, than hard coded organizations with responsibilities and rules. Yeah. and we I think we attract people like that as well
0: absolutely I want to ask about your hiring as well because you mentioned that you're hiring what kind of people you're looking for but before we do that are you raising funds at the moment
1: uh, we have not started yet actively mm. uh, we, we've been lucky that we were sort of uh, revenue um, we had we had revenue coming in from basically from the day one so so we've been uh, we've been Bootstrapping uh, the company, I suppose that's what you call it, mm. and we're really optimizing for kind of the control and the speed of movement uh, at still fairly uh, fairly good rate of growth. But um, we will need, uh, we will be going out uh, to raise funds uh, early this year, probably looking at closing uh, closing uh, something around uh, Q2, uh, ah. Q2 end of Q2 this year. Um, yeah, we'll be probably looking at uh, skipping a couple of the usual uh, entry level rounds just because we already, well, already have we have that coverage. Obviously no yeah, point. and yeah. We, we really like. I, I guess I personally, I really like the kind of the mm, that that freedom that we have to focus on the product. We uh, are not necessarily accountable mm. to outside investors. So I kind of have a. Obviously, stories well. from friends and industry how it is sort of hinders the progress in some cases. So you know, you obviously it's, it's a trade off. Everything is yeah. a trade yeah. I so. mean,
0: you're a co-founder. You spend so much of your time just yeah. out there pitching to investors rather than trying to build exactly. the product and win exactly. clients. Exactly.
1: And I'm, I'm you know I'm personally excited by by building a product and by talking to clients and industry people. And I, I kind of don't really want to be out there and pitching myself and and uh, taking my. We well, don't need to on the table.
0: <laughs> exactly. You don't need to because you've already got the the revenues coming in, yeah. and, and it will be I guess Q2. Onwards is, is more of a strategic partnership as well. Somebody's not just bringing money, but also something else mm. to the table, right?
1: Like, look, we've we've obviously talked about it, and, and this is a this is a part of a part of discussions we keep having. And I think there are really two scenarios. What what uh, you can what you can uh, do is you can you can talk talk about sort of a smart money, and you can talk about um, uh, talk about people coming in with uh, with you know strategic partnerships and mm. networks and stuff. That's definitely one of the options for us. I suppose it would be more of an industry partnerships. So yeah. It would be a lot more interesting in a in a technical. Uh, technological companies to be to be working with us in, in terms of investments, or the other side might be simply dump money. Dump money without giving up control. Right. That might be also an option because we know what we want to do, we know how we want to do it and that might be another sort of way. Uh, the problem with these things is it's not wrong or right. They're both viable, they yeah. both make sense and it's just, you know, which one which one is
0: going to be Well, we have time. Out. Okay, so let me ask you about the the hiring aspect because you've already talked a little bit about your culture so I want to explore that a little bit because it's really important for talent so people who listen to the show watch this show and they you know they listen to Pavel's story and think well I want to be on board I like what you're doing it really appeals to me you're building something and I want to be part of that mm. that's what attracts the right people isn't it it's not like okay so what are the hours you know or yeah. that that's the wrong question that yeah. somebody's going to ask you that they're interested in look like, what's the vision I will get a chance to work with you and, you know because you'll be almost a mentor to anybody that joins the company because that will then you know they'll learn, they'll transfer that information down to them that you've all learned in your past and what you've learned with this business as well. But the culture is a key aspect of it. You're a distributed company across time zones. What kind of mindset do you think somebody needs to have to thrive in Mero?
1: So they need to be learner and they need to be open minded. That's the that's the key most most important things that we have. And actually, you know what? Hiring has always been easy for us. And I know this is this is a tricky part for a lot of companies. But through our community activities, we have sort of have enough exposure and actually built a nonprofit which has a massive reach into. She loves data. She loves data into the into the community. We can talk about it for sure as well. Uh, And that's something that kind of gives us you know not necessarily just that CSR aspect on a paper, Mm. but it really attracts people who are like you who want. To take part in that, but obviously also kind of need a commercial job. But if I when I talk to our analysts, that what they are, you know, they are really they are saying, look, this is a great opportunity. I get to work on interesting stuff, but I also get paid for you know coaching and training uh, at workshops, which are free for community for for sort of a greater good cause which is really interesting. So that's that's something that's been you know we have that sort of the branding and then network created. I think that community building is really really important mm. in this sense and and you know it's it's always being labeled as giving back. I don't necessarily. Really feel like we've taken anything. So the giving back part, I'm not too sure that's that's a fitting. I think it's generally giving. Like we have been uh, personally, I can I can speak for myself. I have been very very fortunate, uh, successful to a large degree, and and you know I feel like this is something that I need to share mm. at, at the, my entire journey. I'm not waiting to be uh, Bill Gates at 50 and then start giving it all, all away. Like this needs to be happening at any given point in time. Absolutely, so, we you know. might not make it to
0: 50. That's how it is, well, right? With this lifestyle, probably. Not. <laughs> Who knows? But the point is, is that you must have a lot of people that approach you. You've obviously she loves data. You know mm. a lot of people know about this project. You know it's fantastic what you're doing. Um, You're in an interesting space as well. So people are going to be interested in you and your journey. What kind of skills are you looking for from the community? If somebody reached out to you and said, hey, look, I I want to be part of this. Is there particular things that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, so right now we are looking for a couple of people in data analytics and engineering, data engineering space, so, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a computer science, a little bit of data databases, uh, kind of understanding and the kind of right uh, geeky mindset, like you get a lot of traditional, you know, CVs that are banking background. Uh, seven years at one bank, four different positions, mm. uh, one very particular vertical thing, where when I get a CV, uh, you know, I would actually encourage everyone to read uh, one of our job descriptions on the site when you look at the marketing role that we have opened right now, just for the entertainment value. I think it's it's written a little bit differently than how you're used to seeing your job descriptions. Hell, uh, um, look, we, I'm kind of taking a taking a, a little bit of a stab at the startups, and we're saying, look, like, if you were looking for the free beer at the office, and it's <laughs> And the ping pong tables, we have none of that. You yeah. Know, so, so try Facebook, try Google. The slide. Mm, yeah, we don't we don't do that. <laughs> but you know, if you are looking for responsibility and an ability right. to carve your own space and do what you want to do, w- and grow where you want to grow at a company that's that's sort of you know on the go and, and gonna be growing, mm. that's that's really a place where you want to be. Um, and I've kind of always appreciated, I you know while formal education is necessarily absolutely, it's specifically in certain industries and areas, if mm. you want to be a doctor it's kind of good to go to university mm. uh, what we are doing, you know, there's not really a long history and the educational system isn't really built around this so we are uh, we kind of like, I get excited when we when we get series where people are linking to their GitHub as an analyst and they are yeah, showing right. us their products and this is amazing They've done this something. is really amazing, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they might be someone who is in one or two years uh, out of school, maybe not necessarily, may not be great communicator but they are this sort of, they have this, this spark that they exploration mindset which is which is what we really like to enable Mm. we really like that
0: yeah you you say some great things there as well i mean you know i'm always curious we recruit as well we hire like any startup Mm. is i always look for what have they done outside of what their boss and what their mom and dad and what the teacher has told them in their life. You know, if somebody's 25 years old sitting here, they've had plenty of time to do something. What yeah. are the projects that they've done? What have they built? GitHub. Show me your folder. You know, what is, have they built an Instagram shop, for example? or Did they, you know, do they have electronic dance music album out there or do they get involved in a project like she loves data, for example, you know, show me those things because that shows us as hirers that, They don't need to be told to do things. They can say to you, hey, Pavel, look, you know, I've been looking at this challenge that we have in the business and I think this, you know, like I've had all these ideas and I've done the research and, you know, I've gone away and you didn't need to tell me to do this. It's like, this is the extra stuff that I'm bringing to the table. And that's like how we build a business together, right?
1: I would say one of the, one of the, um, uh, sort of things that is hard to come by in Singapore, especially, are definitely salespeople, and I think yeah. that's across the startups. And I always, I've been listening to, you, to your to your show for quite a while, so yeah. I kind of laugh <laughs> when this comes up because that's always every sweet. time everyone everyone wants a hunter, and you know, um, we, there is, this is a this is a rare skill in a in a society like like mm. Singapore. So that's a, that's a trickier uh, to to get by. So, but yeah, that's definitely something we would be interested in. Otherwise, uh, yeah, a couple of a uh, couple of uh, analytical data engineering roles. I'm looking for more junior full-stack marketer which again it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a daring challenging uh, right. description like wanting a 360 someone who knows a little bit of everything kind of well but not really being a specialist in any one thing so yeah that's a that's a that's a tricky piece
0: yeah but you know it's a challenge we like a challenge oh, here, yeah. right? i think the thing is look if you've listened to pavel's story and you've got you know an understanding of mero and how they work and what they're trying to do just reach out you know i think the thing is not to wait for look you need this exact job role and this is my exact background. It's more sort of a bit of this, isn't it? How does it fit in here? And that conversation that you're going to have together, you know, that's the right person or not. At least this is worth taking forward. So I don't think anybody listening should say, okay, look, you know, maybe you know, my background is uh, the sales guy. Maybe I haven't been selling these kind of solutions but I love what you're doing and I want to reach out to you and talk to you and find out a bit more about whether or not I fit in there. That's really the starting point isn't it, of that. Mm. So I would ask you as well, what is the best way for people to do that? How do you like people to contact you? What's your preferred uh, platform?
1: Look, I think if you look at look up my name, um, anything has come on from LinkedIn to Instagram to to uh, our website, so easily through mayro.io actually um, and my email will be pavel at io, or if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm um, targeting the millennials in in in, in, in the space, uh, uh, my uh, tag is uh, extra underscore bagus, so you can tell I've been in Indonesia for a while, yeah, yeah. So,
0: There you go, so, yeah, props that's
1: it, that's it. Or LinkedIn is obviously easy to do as well and I'm kind of visible on all of these platforms
0: Awesome, we'll put all the details on the show notes Pavel Boloski, it's been a real pleasure a lot of fun speaking you know, speaking about your journey and Mero and what you're doing and she loves data as well, check those out, we'll put all those links in there so people can check you out um, If you're interested, reach out Potential partnerships, long term. People who are working in this space, people who maybe want to join the team, or people who just some you know something you said triggered something in them yeah. that they feel they need to contact you. Maybe at this stage we don't know what that connection is, but it's a journey, isn't it? And you don't know where that goes in the grand scheme of things. These people can be useful long term, so reach out and make contact. Tell Pavel that you watched the story and you're inspired to reach out to him. So thank you so much for coming today. It's been a real inspiration. Thanks, for having me Thank you for sharing your journey. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.